Good morning. It's Friday, September 13th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. I'm Connor Tapp, and today we're playing the audio version of the 24-7 Sports College Football Show, which airs live every Thursday at 1130 a.m. Central on YouTube, Periscope, and Facebook. I'll have links to the video on each of those platforms in the show notes if you want to watch, but if you're good without the video, just keep listening, because you're about to hear me, Josh Ayler, Barton Simmons, and Trey Scott preview week three of college football. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Show. My name's Josh Ayler, joined by Barton Simmons, Trey Scott, later by Con- Connor Tapp, excuse me. How are we doing today, guys? Great. Excited about a good week. You know, I'm not going to listen to all the folks saying that this week is a bad slate. No top 25 games. Who cares? There's going to be upsets. There's going to be close games. We're still learning about these teams. We don't even know who's good yet anyways. I'm pumped. I'm feeling good. I uh, didn't know that week three was bad. I got off an airplane last night. Yeah, you've been on vacation. How's vacation been? So yeah. vacation. Yeah. I've been on vacation. How's your, how's your uh, week two recharge? My, I, it was much needed. Week one was a long one. Got off the plane last night. I had been on a plane or on vacation since Friday. I watched two games so it was like last five, week. Like it was six Clemson or seven day vacation. In Texas LSU. I'm excited to learn a lot about what else has happened from you today? I feel like yeah, you are I'm happy to I'm, inform you. My head's still in a vacation, vacation in March, <laughs> like every other normal person. Okay. Well, real quick, how, how good was the Clemson tailgate? It was great. It was. Uh, it, it lived up to the hype. Uh, Clemson has a fun stadium vibe. Uh, it was very hot. It was the hottest game in uh, Clemson history. That's what I heard. And you couldn't drink enough water. You just couldn't. Um, and apparently, my tan. So I had a coworker today say, "Your," t-, and then we went to Hilton Head. Your tan's not even impressive. So according to someone uh, who we work with. So that's kind of a bummer, but otherwise it was a great trip, and here I am. All right, well, questions, comments, we'll read those throughout the show. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get started. So after two weeks, uh, some teams have felt the highest of highs, some the lowest of lows, and some, you know, just okay. Um, so we thought it'd be a good idea just to kind of take a look where they are, in the, where they fit on the spectrum, where they are on the mountaintop. So right. guys, want to go ahead and get started on that? Let's do it. Yes. All right, let's go ahead and start with Clemson. Yeah. Uh, well, that looks let's pretty. see. There you are. The Cle- so Clemson's, there they are. Okay. They're, they're, they're climbing the mountain. They're, they're not exactly euphoric right now, but they're feeling the altitude a little bit. Uh, this was, we're two weeks in, and they've... Blown out Georgia Tech mm-hmm. in, I mean, it wasn't exactly like an exotic win. It was just sort of they got enough done. They suffocated. Over A&M. And they beat yeah. A&M. And the, and the A&M game was, I mean, you were there. Yeah, so it was, it was 24 to 3 until like the last 10 seconds. And A&M, you know, I guess Jimbo had money on A&M covering. That was, Jimbo didn't have money on anybody. Clemson was like, a, like a, the snake Connor, are you a snake guy? The boa constrictor that just suffocates its opponents, didn't even play that well, and all of a sudden you look up and ho-hum, they've got a 24-3 lead over the number 12 team in the country. Trevor Lawrence would probably tell you his performance has been, this season and, and against Texas A&M, like a B-minus, C-plus. He's missed a few throws. He's been long. He's been short. Justin Ross had two drops. Travis Etienne only averaged like three yards a carry Saturday against Texas A&M. They haven't needed any of those guys to ball out yet. Their defense... You look at their roster of defensive talent, and you go, okay, maybe they're going to take a step back this year, kind of reload next year with that great recruiting class. They got a lot of former walk-ons playing really well. 
Their defense had a little bend but don't break, but overall really took it out of Kellen Mond. I think Clemson's should be feeling really good considering that they've just passed the toughest test of their season and they're not even playing all that great. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I think that's the thing is, yeah, we've got them ascending the mountain, certainly, and you're, you're not feeling bad if you're Clemson, but this has not been as dominant a first two weeks, maybe as we were expecting. And I think with Trevor Lawrence looking mortal, mm-hmm. then perhaps you know, Clemson has some, they have some upward mobility in terms of, of, of feeling positive vibes about this national championship run, because ultimately that's what we're talking about with Clemson. It, I mean, being 2-0 really isn't enough. We're measuring them against themselves. We're measuring them against the dominant teams in college football history. And two weeks in, I think we're still waiting for them to kind of look like that ilk of a team. They were a slow starter last year, too, and they had the quarterback change that kind of punctuated that. And I remember we sat here a few times and we said, I'm kind of worried about, we both chose Clemson last year to win the national title. We said, I'm kind of worried about my national title pick. Uh, you'd look it's at true. box scores on Saturday and you go, huh, what's wrong with Clemson? I think they're going to, you know, we're probably not going to talk about Clemson for the next m- month and a half. Yeah. They're just going to, you know, crush through the ACC schedule. And we're going to look up and all of a sudden Trevor Lawrence is putting, putting up the numbers we expect him to and they're going to be just fine. But yeah, uh, nothing too excited. Uh, but hey, they beat A&M and that was all they had to do. And now they're kind of a playoff lock. All right, so Clemson ascending the mountain at two and zero, but maybe trending towards the valley at two and zero is University of Michigan. Yeah, they're, they're, as you can see, they're, they're, they are um, so not not very high up on the uh, towards the peak. They're, they're sort of slinking down I, to sea level a little bit. I mean, they're obviously lucky that they're not in rock bottom because yeah. Army probably should have won that game. And, hey, yeah, I know Army played Oklahoma close last year, but the circumstances felt different this season. Army lost eight starters on defense. Michigan's offense has not been what we expected it to be yet. We have not seen anything to inspire the faith that we had in Michigan winning the Big Ten. I, I, like, I don't – I think Michigan fans should be very concerned. No, I mean, the, the problem is the, the expectation. The expectation for this team was playoffs. I don't know where that came from. That wasn't, I wouldn't say in playoffs, but a lot of people felt like this team is a playoff team. And, of course, you know, 2-0, there's, nothing's ruled out, but they certainly don't look like a playoff team. And this offense is taking its time getting geared up. Uh, and I don't think – I mean, look, defensively they were, they, looked, they were fine against Army. I think the problem is, like, look at that Army game against Oklahoma last year. Uh, it was a matchup that was sort of perfect for that Oklahoma team because they could possess, possess the football, uh, pound the rock, three and four yards a pop. Oklahoma's defense was so bad at stopping that sort of a, 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 an offense. Meanwhile, Michigan's built to stop it, and they did stop it. They got some stops, and unlike Oklahoma, who scored just about every possession last year against Army, Michigan didn't. Shea Patterson has looked, uh, I, I mean, He's not looked like a senior. No. He's been loose with the football. He has, he's had four fumbles in two weeks. He's not been super accurate. Uh, and so that, I think, if you're Michigan, is where you start looking at things and saying, well, how are we going to beat Madison or uh, Wisconsin yeah, and Madison? Got, yeah, after the bye week. And how are we going to beat Penn State? Um, how are we going to be? Look, Maryland all of a sudden is a, is a team that's, that's scary. And so I, I think Michigan is – even at 2-0, uh, there's, there's a lot of reason to, to start 
worrying about those lofty preseason expectations. Is a quarterback change perhaps in the future? Do you really? See, I mean, is oh. it too early to panic? I mean, I think it's too early to go there, but I mean, they're playing, they're, they're, they are easing Dylan McCaffrey in. I mean, this is kind of a two quarterback system a little bit right now. I did some of that last year. So yeah, I mean, they're not scared to sort of keep Dylan McCaffrey involved. I, I am not necessarily of the belief that things will look better if Dylan McCaffrey's in there instead of Shea Patterson, I, you almost just want to sort of wake Shea Patterson up yeah. and say, man, just you know, take care of the football. He's got a little bit of that Tua syndrome from last year of just always trying to make the big play. And I don't think he has the same margin for error as Tua did last year either. And so Shea's got to be a, a, a sound ball handler all year long. And I, I don't think that's been the case so far. Yeah, I think adding to whatever anxiety Michigan fans are having right now with the struggles on offense, I'll mention the matchup in Madison after the bye week, the Badgers still have not allowed a point on defense, admittedly against some overmatched competition, but the Wisconsin's looking pretty legit. Wisconsin's looking That's a really great stat. legit. No points allowed on defense. And Michigan's got the number nine offense in the country. N- number 99, I mean. You really have been on vacation, just in awe at like the <laughs> like, two shutouts. Great <laughs> that, that, stat. That Wisconsin Connor. had a shutout last week. <laughs> when I look at, like, usually on when we're on camera, I'm like, okay, like, look at Barton so it looks like I'm engaged and involved and like soaking up what you're saying. And now I'm like learning. I'm like, yeah, fun- I'm like, Shea Patterson's fumbles. Yeah, and when Josh was like a quarterback battle, I was like, instead of like a, you know, stirring the pot and saying, wow, what? I was like, huh? Is yeah. that like a? Is- yeah, so. you really leaned into to, to Connor's uh, two shutouts in a row. Tidbit. I'm not faking this. This is legitimately a learning experience for me. You're like a toddler learning yeah. like new new tools. Who's up next? All right, how about USC? All right. How about them? We're climbing that mountain now. I'm about to give you a uh, a turn. We said last week, I was like, hey, look at this schedule. I think Clay Helton's days are numbered. Well, BYU beat Tennessee, and that's who USC has up next. But BYU didn't look so hot. Washington doesn't look so hot. Look at USC's schedule. BYU, Utah, Washington, Notre Dame. I, I... Given the, what, they, what the Trojans did in their comeback against Stanford and how true freshman Keaton Slovis looks, USC might come out with a plus 500 record in those games. No, I think, well, there, there's a couple reasons that you can be really excited if you're USC. I mean, for one, yeah, Keaton Slovis. And who knows? I mean, maybe USC looks just as good with JT Daniels. But, but certainly, I think you found something exciting with Keaton Slovis. He looked so in control last week. And... I think it tells you something. Granted, Graham Harrell preaches that you can insert anybody and our offense is going to be good. This is not catered to the quarterback. This is the quarterback's catered to the offense. And, and, but I think what, tells you, what gives you positive indicators along with that performance was the fact that Keaton Slovis beat out two upperclassmen and Jack Sears and Matt Fink. And so now he steps in and that, that, that sort of paid off. But to me, that's not even the storyline as much as what happened elsewhere for USC. They looked tougher than Stanford. Their offensive line was, was protecting the quarterback. Their offensive line was blowing Stanford off the football, which when was the last time we could say that about a USC offensive line? On defense, they, they, they stepped up when they were challenged. They were down, was it 17 to three? 17 to three. 17 to three, and they didn't blink. They, they kept on battling. In fact, USC had an opportunity to make it 24-3 to three or, and, and, 
and, and USC came up with some stops led by Elijah Griffin, who I thought played great at cornerback. And so I think if you're USC now, you're like, all right, we got a quarterback. We're Graham Harrell is someone that, that we now have a, a lot of faith in based on what we've seen as offensive coordinator. And we're starting to look like we're competing a little bit better. We're starting to look like we're more physical. Hey, you know, we, maybe we've got a chance of this thing. This could, just, this could just be the beginning. As you look at that ascension up the mountain, you know, USC could, could, they could keep on rolling. A lot of parallels here to the year uh, that Sam Darnold gets put in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So many. I mean, Max Brown was the guy. Wasn't the guy. Sam Darnold comes in, saves Clay Helton's job that year on another front-loaded USC schedule. It kind of does seem, when you come back 17-3, it seems like you're playing for something. You're playing for your coach, maybe. Um, yeah, good what sign. we've seen on the football field from USC has been encouraging, but Lynn Swan stepping down as AD in the week, and a lot of speculation that that AD change may be tied to a desire to eventually make a change at the head coaching position. Do you guys think that that could filter down to the team and maybe have an impact on the way they're playing? No, I, I don't. Well, I don't think it has an impact on the way they're playing because I think. I think that's that's too that's 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 removed from their world to a degree. In some ways, I think it helps show that there's a little bit of a reset going on in that athletic department and in that university, and they've needed a reset for a while. Uh, but I do think that when you look at like what like to, to, I mean, I mean, everyone likes Clay Helton. I mean. This is not a coach that I think doesn't have the players behind him. And so if anything, hey, maybe you're playing for Clay Helton. Maybe you're making sure that, that we're putting our best foot forward so that whatever the, the you know, new AD comes in, you know, he's got a, a great resume here that, that they've helped build for Clay Helton based on this season. So I don't think it's a negative. I mean, maybe it could be seen as a positive. But I, I think that what's going to be interesting about that AD situation is, you know, can they even make a hire? Can they even circle the wagons to make an athletic director hire to actually even be in a position to make a decision on Clay Helton this year? Because I don't know that we have any reason to believe USC can, can get their ducks in a row to make that happen either. How should Washington be feeling right now? Yeah. I'm kind of sick. Like, I, we're not, let's, blood, blood oath pack here now. We're not going to do this next year with Washington. Did we do this this year with Washington? I, I had them in my playoff. Okay, well, I didn't do that. That's a, that was a mistake. Jacob Eason was not ready for that Cal secondary. And does it kind of feel like something's just kind of missing with Washington the last few years ever since that playoff yeah, appearance? it does. You just, what are you guys doing? I, I, I will mount some defense here of Jacob Eason. First of all, that was a weird game. They didn't, they, it was delayed, you know, once they got going in the first quarter. They didn't start the game until like 10.30 local time. Again, uh, a depleted stadium, weird vibe. Those are always tough games to, to really get a feel for. Secondly, I, watched, I, I didn't watch that in real time, but I rewatched that game. And this is, I, this is not an attempt to excuse Jacob Eason because I still think yeah, he's got some a ways to go, and he didn't look sharp. He didn't necessarily look in rhythm all game. And that Cal secondary is really good. But that said, he was, what, 18 of 30, I think? Uh, maybe 16 of 30. There was at least four drops that just hit receivers right in the chest. That Most of those would have gone for first downs. I think three or so of those would have gone for first downs. The interception he threw was a pass intended for Hunter Bryant where, where he kind of um, – 
tailed, trailed upfield and, and sort of let the receiver jump the route a little bit. I think he needs some help from his receivers. This is a group, ever since John Ross, I mean, Dante mm-hmm. Pettis, it's always been this sort of this one receiver, it's, it's been John Ross or it's been Dante Pettis. And there really hasn't been a guy that's taken a step forward for this unit. So someone's got to start playing at receiver for this Washington team. And, but, but they are absolutely, I mean, that's a downward trend right now uh, in terms of what, what, what's going on with, uh, with this team. I and mean, they, they need to be better. And, uh, and, and I think that Cal, as, as good as that defense is, uh, needs to take a, you know, that this is a game Washington should win. Why are you trying to get rid of my water bottle? I, I was getting the instructions for the producers. <laughs> I'm sorry. Why did they tell about Yeah, I was like, what are they talking about? Okay. Uh, right. Your water bottle was in the shot. I mean, is that, is that a problem? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take. I'll move the We're water bottle. We got a confrontational bar. Yeah. I was. Tra- I couldn't really hear him very well. I'm trying, trying to talk, to and yeah. you're like dragging my water bottle around the table. <laughs> you're what they're saying. It's like move it this way. What? All right, oh go. God. All right. Well, so. I have no follow up to the Washington thing. I apologies. No, I, the Pac-12 now is down to Utah. Yeah. Well, though. Don't say U.S. No, I'm no. not. Well, I mean, hey, look. Sure. Uh, USC's sure, climbing sure, the mountain. Sure. 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 USC's yeah, climbing yeah, the mountain. Yeah. But secondly. I mean, down to Utah in terms of what playoffs? I yes, guess. Yes. Yes. I guess week two. And probably, probably. But Oregon, if if Oregon could, ju- I mean, Oregon is going to look impressive when they win. Right. I don't know if Oregon like can seventy on Nevada. Yeah. If Oregon <laughs> can keep on just rolling teams up, then maybe they can work themselves back in there, depending on what else happens elsewhere. But I mean, you're probably right. It's yeah. probably just Utah. Does it depend on Auburn a little bit too? I guess. Yeah, it probably does. I mean, if Auburn has a really good year, beats Alabama or someone, or beats LSU, I mean, all of a sudden, then you're like, all right. Yeah. All right, how about Ohio State? I want to know who thought that was going to be a close game. They just rolled Cincinnati. I mean, we thought, I mean. How good do they look? They looked really good. I mean, the defense especially. That, that's the thing. And secondly, I saw somewhere, uh, I think it was uh, Pro Football Focus had uh, adjusted completion percentage. And I think Justin Fields is leading the na- nation at like 90% adjusted completion percentage. That's a pretty encouraging statistic if you're Ohio State and you knew this season you had all the pieces you just were unsure about this guy who never started a game at quarterback and now two weeks in they've been blowouts but we know he's good we know he's not some sort of a bust we know this guy is capable of winning every game at quarterback and so he's rolling but secondly man that defense just totally dominated a Cincinnati team that just uh, you know that we thought was pretty good. I think we most people were they ranked? They weren't ranked, but I think most no. people thought that they were. I thought they, the I thought they should have been. I thought they should have been ranked. Yeah. And, maybe, and maybe now, knowing what we know about UCLA, who will talk about the Cincinnati win in Week One looks not as good. Back to Fields. I don't think we were expecting after two weeks to kind of know what we had in him. I do think that I, I said this kind of in the offseason that the, the, the key to Justin Fields will be he's going to unlock J.K. Dobbins, and he's done just that. 8.3 yards of carry, two touchdowns against Cincinnati. And when J.K. Dobbins is running like that and when Justin Fields is being an, an efficient and taking care of the football, Ohio State's a clear-cut playoff, playoff favorite. And it looks like, I mean, if the two teams played tomorrow, Ohio State would beat Michigan by 28. Yeah, but here's the other problem with, I mean, I think the Big Ten right now, would you agree with this? Is probably the toughest road to the playoffs, conference from a conference perspective. Wisconsin looks really good. Like Wisconsin, two weeks in, looks like they're really good as a 
West uh, championship game, okay. you know, matchup. Okay. You got Maryland all of a sudden, I'm, might be really good. I know where you're going. You've got Penn State, might be really good. Michigan State had their best offensive performance that they've had since like 2015 last weekend. Michigan might be still, you know, good. Who knows? And then, so I'm just saying, and I'm not saying I'll say SEC there. But SEC, you got, who do you have? If If you're Auburn and you have to play Alabama, LSU, Georgia, all three of those teams look like playoff teams. No, they do. Right. But I'm just saying, but, but if you're, yeah, Auburn's got a tougher road. But I, I think from a top down, Big Ten looks like the best conference That's to fair. me. That's fair. How about Florida State? Yuck. Ooh. Anytime you're going to overtime with Louisiana Monroe, let's just count it as a loss. Yeah, we're starting to, we're starting to get down in the, in the bottom of the valley here. Uh, Man, like that. I don't know how Willie Taggart's going to turn this thing around. I really don't. I saw today they hired Jim Levitt. Uh, defensive coordinator mastermind as a sort of an, an analyst would imagine by midseason we might have a trade-off there between him and Harlan Bennett but at some point Barnett Barnett at some point thank you at some point you just look at this and you say this is not going to work at I'd some like, point you do. and I wonder if you can say to talk me out of no it. no I mean this is bad that's a bad look that's a really bad look and there it, it there's a feel of the offense is, it's had some really good starts. Yeah. It's really slow yeah, finishes. Yeah, great. The defense is, I think there's a, a level of like, they're not playing complimentary football. Um, and that, that's what Bronco Mendenhall brought up when he discussed maybe why they've struggled so far uh, defensively is, hey, when you're going to mock speed and you're trying to score every play on offense, that puts your defense a little bit of a bind. And you got to be, you got to be prepared for that dilemma, and uh, I'm not sure. I mean, look, Harlan Barnett, how did he make his, his bones playing Michigan State where mm-hmm. th- they're all about complimentary yeah. football. They're yeah. all about protecting their defense. Uh, and so, you know, this is a – but, I mean, look, they, they didn't even beat ULM. ULM missed an right. extra point in overtime, and now they got to go to Virginia on the road, and I wouldn't be surprised if that gets ugly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is even like that is about as demoralizing a win as you could have if you're Florida State. Barton, do you think there's any chance like this Jim Levitt hire as an off-field analyst ends up maybe backfiring, causing some rifts on the staff? Yeah, I I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I do. Because what's going on? So Jim Levitt is hired as a a defensive analyst. Mm Jim Levitt, of course, was Willie Taggart's defensive coordinator. I believe Willie Taggart, if I'm not mistaken, tried to get him to join him at Florida State. That's but, right. But, but Levitt decided to stay at Oregon. He had a big that, raise. That didn't work out. And Mario Cristobal butted heads a little bit. So very clearly, this is a guy that Willie Taggart has had success with, who Willie Taggart has a preference for to some degree. And now you've got him looking over your current defensive coordinator's shoulder ostensibly to like help him and be an advisor but are you are you really advising him when this guy's not putting together a good unit like I think you start second guessing you know motivations intentions sure uh you you are a little bit more guarded you are it's just a I think it's it's a recipe for some toxicity inside the building 
I, th I think for it to work, it takes, I think, real maturity on both sides, we've on all sides. We talked about coaches who are struggling to have sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card as far as changing coordinators. Willie Taggart did that last offseason. So this is almost his third get-out-of-jail-free card, and you almost wonder if this thing keeps going downhill, if they keep hitting rock bottom, <laughs> did Willie Taggart just hire his interim coach replacement? <laughs> like, is Jim Levitt going to be coaching Florida State at the end of next season? Or maybe even this season? Uh, I, I feel like Florida State and Taggart might soon reach a point of misery, which I think Tennessee will as well, and we'll talk about the Vols in a second, of where it's like this isn't, and maybe UCLA too, maybe like this isn't working for anybody. So good luck turning around. It's not going to get any easier Saturday against Virginia. How about a team that's on fire right now, Maryland? First yeah, ranking since we're, we're, first ranking since 2013. Look how high Maryland is on that mountain. We're creeping up this thing. Maryland's been awesome. Out of nowhere. Maryland has been and, and I actually am am really disappointed in myself for not sniffing this out preseason because Maryland does have a talented roster. Mm -hmm. They've got, according to the 24-7 sports team talent composite, they have the 27th most talented roster in terms of what these guys were as recruits coming out of high school. The problem with Maryland, as much as anything, I mean, there's been obviously some off-the-field, it's, it's unfair to even call it distractions, just some major off-the-field um, but I'm gonna, turmoil. Yeah, turmoil, yeah. that's a fair, that's a good word. Player died. Uh, along with, yeah, <laughs> along with the, just a culture that had been in the crosshairs. Um, and so, but, but, but on the field, the biggest issue has been the quarterback position. They've dealt with ridiculous injury luck at the quarterback position. And they now have a quarterback in Josh Jackson that has some level of proven success at Virginia Tech. He's healthy so far. They've got two, they've got one of the best running back, one of the best backfields at running back in the country. And, you know, now they have, and, and, and Mike Loxley sort of brought this group together from a, from a camaraderie and unity standpoint. And so it makes a lot of sense that they're rolling like this. But to, to, to do Syracuse the way they did them yeah. probably exceeded anybody's expectations. I, had the, I, I picked them to cover. But I didn't see 63 to 20 or whatever that score was. Maybe Mike Loxley, uh, Josh Gaddis stole all of the new play caller from Alabama hype from Mike Loxley. And right now we're seeing, and they had a little little war of words about it. It's decidedly uh, Mike Loxley's advantage right now. Yeah, Maryland right now averaging 71 points per game, ninth in the country in yards per play on offense. And they, the way their, their schedule stacks up in a kind of interesting way, they have three of the big four in the Big Ten East in the month of November. Mm. They've got uh, Penn State the last week of September, so that's shaping up to be a really, really interesting matchup. How about UCLA? Pretty low on the, on the whole, uh, yeah, we're in the mud over here. Look at this. This is... Uh, talk, talk about a dead program. Talk about a dead program, man. I mean, the problem with UCLA is that, you know, we're supposed to be seeing, obviously, improvement on the field. We're supposed to be seeing player development. We're supposed to be seeing quarterback development. Those things don't appear to be happening. But in addition to that, UCLA, I should have looked this up before, but UCLA, from a recruiting standpoint, is... 
not getting it done either. There's no reason to think that there's, there's something bubbling underneath. They're 67th in the country right now in the, in the national team recruiting rankings. Last Eight year. In the Pac-12. Last year they were 40th. Last year they finished 40th. I mean, it's not good enough. And so we used to have, and, and hey, Chip this, Kelly could still turn this around. This, he could still convince us that, okay, we just, we overreacted. But right now, what do we have to hang on to, to, to make us believe that we shouldn't care about the recruiting, uh, lack of recruiting intensity? Well, the two positives that we took away from the, the way UCLA finished last season and the kind of offseason was they had a running game in Joshua Kelly. And his return against San Diego State did nothing. He had like 50 yards. And the fact that they had weeded their, their roster of these guys who didn't love football. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm not going to question anyone on the roster and whether they love football, but that's a pretty demoralizing loss to San Diego State. And they're just, you look at them and there's just not talent that pops out to you. So you're at least going to have this run-oriented team who cared. And you're 0-2. And how can you look, how can you say UCLA cares right now? I think it's bad. I, I think of all the coaches on the hot seat in, in any, in any <clears throat> conference, I think Chip Kelly is most likely to no longer be the coach by December. Well, hold on. Do you think he's most deserving to get fired, or do you think he's actually on the hot seat? I have a hard time believing that Chip Kelly could do much of anything this year that would get him fired. I, I, I don't believe it. I think they could go winless, and I don't think Chip Kelly is fired. Is Take that two? one. Yeah, that's that lock that in. That's a take of Palooza. Lock it up. Yeah, I don't. I don't because this administration just paid a lot of money to hire him. They're clearly, I would imagine, what he sold this administration on was wasn't. I'm going to come in and I'm going to have top recruiting classes. It was. Listen, if you guys are hiring me, I'm Chip Kelly. I'm smarter than you, and I'm smarter than everyone else in the country, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to have a great player development program, and I'm going to have a great uh, strength and conditioning and nutrition program. And look, it's not going to be an overnight fix. I'm going to do this right. We're going to do it. Uh, we're going to build a foundation, and I need you to be committed to me that it's going to take more than two years because I promise you what that, that's going to be. That was the message. Sure. And so. Probably feels gold. It might be. Ten, not, years, ten again, years ago, I'm he was not, Chip Kelly. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve if. If, if this stays in the doldrums, if this stays at the bottom of the valley like it is, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to, yeah. to be in serious trouble. I'm saying I have a hard time believing he will actually be in serious trouble, at least until 2020. There have been some think pieces starting to bubble up about, you know, so many of the innovations that Chip Kelly brought to the sport are now just things that everybody does. Do you think, do you think it's a situation where maybe everybody's just kind of caught up to what he's doing and what he's doing is no longer exceptional? I do. I mean, I th- and, and granted, in some ways he tried, I mean, he is not trying to be what he was at Oregon. I mean, think about it. They, his, his quarterback of choice last year was Wilton Spate. Right. He went out and got Wilton Spate and said, come here, run my pro-style RPO offense. And so I think he understands that everyone is trying to do what he was doing at Oregon when he was the only one doing it. And so, yes, that built-in advantage is no longer there. He's trying to evolve, I think. But his, his next trick isn't cutting it right now, I think, is the, is the problem. He's probably going to be on our bad list next week, too, 
uh, because they've got Oklahoma this weekend. Oh, yeah. I mean, do. yikes. Yikes. It could get ugly unless, hey, maybe this is the time. Stop. <laughs> maybe, maybe they can. Uh... You've had a variance of UCLA takes today. No, I, I, I don't believe in them. No, I'm just okay. saying, like, who knows? Maybe, maybe finally they convince us that they're good. How about LSU after big win against Texas? We were kind of messing around in our preseason <laughs> show, and we said LSU beat Texas, lose Alabama, make the playoff as an at-large. I think we were on to something, guys. That team, I'm not even sure they're going to lose Alabama. Mm. LSU has unlocked its full potential. As hard as it was to watch, it was awesome to watch. Barton, I'll turn it to you. You were in Austin. That looks like a playoff team. Yeah, so, I mean, you're, yeah, you are euphoric right now. You've, I mean. I'm not. LSU is. I'm, yeah, if you're an LSU fan, if you're, if you're around that program, you are thrilled right now. Because I think for the first time, you could say it. You could say in the years past, we're national title contenders. Mm-hmm. Does it, did it, has, when was the last time anyone really believed that? That LSU could go win a national championship. Dang! Even when LSU wins national championships, they kind of just used to feel like 2011. They stum- yeah. felt like they used to stumble into it. Yeah. yeah, they just never had this kind of offense. That's exactly the point. Yeah. So I think f- we're we're now after that game, for the first time since probably 2011, I I be- believe there is a path to a national championship for LSU. And part of it is because look, I think last year, and how many times have we seen it? No matter how competent we've convinced ourselves that LSU's quarterback is by the time that Alabama game um, shows up on the schedule that dude is wide-eyed in the pocket scared to death and I think last year you know I arrived at the conclusion that okay finally Joe Burrow is someone that's not going to be wide-eyed he's not scared of Alabama he's not scared of big moments he's got toughness and and sort of intangibles that are, are what LSU needs at quarterback. So last weekend, what we added to that equation, what, we, what the ingredient we were able to throw in the pot is not only does he have intangibles, but the dude is freaking making huge throws yeah. down the field, yeah. tight windows, with pressure. And now all of a sudden we're like, they have a quarterback that's not scared, but they also have a quarterback that's good enough. They have a receiving core that's full of five stars. Per usual, but at least they're getting the ball now. Right. So, like, all the like the best thing, the LSU's strengths are now being maximized. Right. And so, you know, is, is, are we going to find out down the road that LSU's defense is not as good as we thought it was? I, I don't know. I mean, I doubt it. That was <clears> – <throat> they still have – I mean, Christian Fulton and Grant Delpit were – we're, kind of, we're getting beat by Texas. I don't think that suddenly means Christian Fulton and Grant Delpit aren't as good as we thought they were. I just think it means that when you're, when you're in that kind of a shootout, sometimes things get a little bit loose. Uh, and I think we're at a point now where LSU is, you know, I feel, I feel more, um, I think Alabama has a bigger test on their hands with LSU than I've ever felt like they have in about, I don't know, seven or eight years. It's, 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 it's rewarding as an LSU, if you're an LSU fan to watch this because how often have, has LSU been the team that is shooting guys off to the NFL like Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on the same team? And it's like, how many you know, college indelible moments of those guys do you have? Or even like LSU back in the day gets a Reuben Randall in, like the top five recruit in the country. And he's a really solid player for LSU, but he's never 
He's never doing what Jamar Chase did on Saturday. So LSU maximizing its talent. Yeah, like the defensively, if Texas is receiving core, which is good, is running roughshod over you, I'm a little bit worried about what Alabama's going to do, but maybe the nature of that game will be more of a 17-10 to 10 affair. I'm pumped to see what LSU's going to do the rest of the year. No, I, th- I tell you what is what's crazy. And I just, as you say that, it's funny to think about this, but we're so programmed to view those Alabama LSU games as these, you know, just two Rams button heads for, for 60 minutes. But I th- when that game comes, it's probably going to look a lot more like that yeah, Texas well. game we just saw than any other game we've seen between those two in a long time, which is going to be a really interesting dynamic to observe. Well, it'll be fun to see what the SEC people say about that one. You're big, you're big over-under guy. What do you think the total will be on that game? Big over-under expert. Yeah. <laughs> the total, I mean, shoot, it'll be, uh, it'll be upper 60s probably. Yeah, it'll be That'll be my guess. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's visit Tennessee. Rock bottom. As low as it gets. So, like, they're in the mud. They got, like, boulders and granite and gravel. Not granite. Coming over and laying on top of it. And Tennessee is going to be a fossil now. And um, $10 million buyout. Honestly, honestly, it's overreactive. But I feel like we start with the fact that Jeremy Pruitt at 0-2 has a manageable buyout. And Philip Fulmer is there. And some people are saying... That was my favorite conspiracy theory. Some people Saturday. are saying Philip Fulmer has deemed himself head coach in waiting. This is a Gonna mess. Bury that, like there's a coup coming. <laughs> this is a mess. I will say, the, the only way that, Phil, that Jeremy Pruitt would be dismissed is if Phil Fulmer reinserted himself. Because I could see him being that, you know... Confident, egotistical. And his ability to fix yeah, this program yeah. that you helped build. And because I, I also don't see him sort of admitting he made a bad hire this early. And and I'll say this too. I am while they are rock bottom, this is as low as it gets, losing at Georgia State and then losing at home in a pretty good environment to BYU. But I am more I have more faith in Tennessee to get it right than Say, I mean, UCLA. Okay. Um, then they have talent. Maybe even than Florida State. I bet you, yeah, I believe this. I think Tennessee has more upside with the current situation than Florida State does. Not saying this year, but I'm saying in terms of, uh, I don't know, the head man, I guess. Uh, the current administration of, of the current coaching staff. I, I think Tennessee, based on the way they're recruiting. For now. For now, um, I, I have more faith in them getting it right. But right now, that's just a, that's just a guess. That's just a you know wishing a prayer if you're a Tennessee fan. I mean, <laughs> I I just think it's it's too it's gonna be too early to start saying talk about buyout for Pruitt. It's just it's, I agree. It, what year two? Year, year two. two. Yeah, and I know they're paying a buyout to a lot of other people. But Jones. But we're talking about John a lot Curry. of year two coaches in this and uh, that are. You know, heading in the wrong direction right now. College football has always had that, like a give me three years, let's get to year three, let's get to November of year three and see what we're doing. There, this is going to be a fascinating fall as far as year two litmus tests because in year two, you're at least you should at least be showing progress. And all three of these programs, Florida State, UCLA, Tennessee, are, are on a decline. And there's more that are. I mean, Chad Morris at Arkansas, Chad Morris bad Arkansas. start by yeah. those guys. I mean that. But look, I don't think any of these coaches are actually in danger of getting fired. Truthfully, 
and so because of that, I think they can exhale a little bit. And, and, and frankly, the way Jeremy Pruitt has been talking in the media leads me to believe he's not panicking. Okay, yeah. Um, and I think they can. To not, not take, you know, have some urgency about it, certainly. But in a way, you can take your time and make sure you're making the right decisions and getting this right. Uh, to, I think maybe one thing working against Tennessee here is schedule. Uh, they've, got, they've got Chattanooga this weekend, uh, but then they're at Florida. They've got Georgia. They've got a pretty good Mississippi State team. Then at Alabama, and then against South Carolina on October 26th. Maybe that's a toss-up. But they're not favored in another FBS game until November 2nd against <sighs> UAB. Oh. And I don't think UT Chattanooga is a very good SCS team if it helps Tennessee. Connor, you got some questions, questions over yeah. there? Let's, uh, let's keep it on uh, Tennessee. We've got a couple of people in, on Facebook asking about Jarek Garantano. New pronunciation on that this year. Um, uh, do we think he's a good quarterback? There seems to be a lot of criticism about him specifically in the wake of this loss. I feel like we could spend like two hours dissecting that team, actually. Well, let's make it special and do that. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess he hasn't taken the leap. The like the hey he's a tough kid with you know some upside to he can win you games. The problem for Tennessee and I'd like to hear if you agree or disagree. The options behind JG, Brian Marr and uh, JT Shrout are not going to win you football games. Yeah, I, I think that's what you got. I mean, you've got Jarek Guarantano. Guarantano. Got to get got to reprogram mm -hmm. myself. Um, that's your guy. And uh, I I don't I mean I I actually think. Brian Maher is has some ability and is, has a chance to be a good quarterback for Tennessee down the road. But you're the idea of pulling the plug on a guy that you've you've been in some battles with already is that's not the move. Pulling, um, pulling the plug on him is now what would kind of get you a three and nine season. Like you at least have upside with Garantano. Jeez. Uh, to, to, to maybe scrap to five wins. You can knock somebody off. Last year, Tennessee had a brutal stretch of five games, and they beat Auburn in the midst of it. And maybe someone on this show predicted that. But it, it's not always as bleak as it appears. Although, I mean, what am I saying? It's pretty bleak. Uh, let's keep it with the underperforming quarterbacks. Uh, Nick Holtz wants to know, why can Harbaugh still not develop a quarterback? Haven't seen any improvement since Jake Rudock. Seems to be an issue. Man, that was a long time ago. Remember, hey, the hey yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you were like, hey, you know, he just heard Jake Rudock yeah. from this Iowa quarterback into an NFL passer, and yeah. we thought, what can't Jim Harbaugh do? Because he had just gotten done turning Colin Kaepernick into a Super Bowl quarterback, mm -hmm. and, and Kaepernick hadn't done much before since. Right. He had obviously developed uh, Andrew, Andrew Luck, Luck, allegedly, at, uh, at Stanford. <laughs> Alleg oh, I'm just Josh saying, Johnson like, you know, well. was he, did he develop him or did he recruit yeah, him? Yeah, you know, yeah. That's kind of my point there. Josh Johnson at San Diego. So when he arrived after the Jake Rudock phase, Jim Harbaugh was was a quarterback whisperer. He was the guy. Absolutely. And so I don't know what's gone wrong there, but I think that there's absolutely reason for criticism on why some quarterbacks have stalled there at Michigan. Now, in Shea Patterson's defense, I believe this will be five offensive coordinators in five years or four, four offensive coordinators in four years. Uh, so, you know, there's... I mean, it, it, that's not an easy task uh, to keep on replacing offenses, revamping systems, and 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 adapting. So, 
you know, but, but some of that's on Jim Harbaugh for making the wrong coordinator hires or not having a system in place that's got continuity to it. Uh, I'm really reluctant to ask this question because it's going to be walking into an ambush. But since we're not actually picking this game, should at least bring up the fact that it exists. Uh, Christopher Simmons says, I think Alabama will beat South Carolina, but I think South Carolina is going to be Alabama's best game so far, better than Duke in New Mexico State, which well, that hope was a 42 so far? 62. I, agree. I hope so. <laughs> I agree Can we t with that. So what do we – I know y'all have South Carolina hot takes, and you just want to dunk on Holinsky. But what, what, what are you? What could you see out of this game that like makes you feel better about South Carolina maybe getting bowl eligible? Survival. Get Ryan Holinsky through it. Don't break South Carolina. How many teams in the past have we? Hey, Vanderbilt two years ago felt real good about Vanderbilt. They lost like fifty nine to zero, and they were never at this. They were never the same. So can South Carolina weather this storm? There's certainly no hype to this game. There's no hype, which is kind of surprising. I have no, I have no uh, inclination and no desire to brag on Holinsky. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's got a lot of arm talent. Here's my concern with this weekend is he's not super mobile. And that's not – when you have – unless you have a just a, a – Ballard offensive line. If you're not super mobile against an Alabama team, that's not a great recipe. And so that's why I don't have a ton of confidence in South Carolina in this one. Uh, I think that there's, you know, they, they'll, they'll be able to take some positives. There'll be some good moments. But I think ultimately, like, I lean Alabama covering a big spread here. It's been very tough because it's, it's South Carolina had beat Alabama the last time they played. And so we're all talking about this 2010 game and just going into this game, just like no chance. 25 and a half point spread. Uh, tough week for your guy here. Um, uh, Josh Blanton asks on Facebook, uh, how much of a chance do you give Syracuse after getting embarrassed against Maryland last week? Another they, big spread. They've been kind of a bugaboo for Clemson in the past couple seasons, but everybody seems to be kind of thinking not so much this year. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the positive for Syracuse is they've – experienced victory against Clemson. Yes. They've experienced victory against them. They Even last year, you could almost argue that they should have won it. No one on that team will be scared. Right. Now, the negative is they just don't look like they're the same team as they were the last, even the last two years. I think Eric Dungy's departure at quarterback is a bigger hit than people <clears throat> gave credit to. Tommy DeVito, not quite the same guy, he doesn't have numbers. the same mobility. Doesn't, put, doesn't keep teams as honest with his legs. And the defensive line was supposed to be a strength, yeah. and, and you know, Maryland had no issues. So I'm not putting it past Clemson, or, uh, Syracuse. They can keep it close in the Carrier Dome because they've done it before. But I, I, don't, I don't expect it. That was supposed to be the college game day game. That was supposed to be kind of the marquee week three game, and then Maryland just you know, ruined it. That's all we got question-wise for now. All right. Thank you, Connor. Uh, now it's time for this week's Boiling Point. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. 
Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boiling Point, where we put our publishers to the test by asking them a few pointy questions. Alabama is upset that it has to play another day game later this month, citing heat concerns that the Crimson Tide players are repeatedly forced to endure. With me today to discuss this situation is Travis Ryer of 24-7 Sports' Bama Online. Travis, the game in question is Southern Miss on September 21st, which has been scheduled to kick off at 11 a.m. local time. Should Alabama just suck it up and play the game, or do they have a legitimate gripe? Well, I think the fans have the gripe because this has been a reoccurring theme ever since the new TV deal, which has actually been around three or four years now with the evolution of the SEC network and every SEC game being televised. Uh, it seems like the fan base has been subject to these hot, heated, humid games in September during daytime hours. And when you look at it from maybe another school's perspective in the league, say LSU, Kevin, I don't know, LSU maybe, uh, the Tigers enjoy those night games on a consistent basis. So I think this is Alabama sort of speaking in behalf of its fans and trying to get just a little bit of variety. I don't think Alabama fans want all of these games at night because there's a lot of these fans that make it a day trip from Mobile, from Huntsville, from places three or four hours away they're looking to there and back it. So I don't think it's a situation where they want all of one thing and none of another. Uh, it just would be nice to have a little bit of a variety to kind of get out of this uh, September heat on occasion. I mean, Travis, we're talking about Southern Miss here. The Tide's going to be favored to win this game by 40. If Alabama wants better time slots, shouldn't they schedule better non-conference opponents? Well, if that was really the overriding factor in how all this goes down, then I would say yes, but it's not. Again, you can look at LSU's non-conference schedule. It isn't all Texas in September, I can promise you that, but you're gonna continue to see the Tigers at night and you get it also, it's the brand, it's what LSU is known for. Saturday night at Death Valley, I get all that. Um, and I also understand that all the SEC member institutions signed off on this deal in which they gave up complete control of their kickoff times. No, that wasn't the case before this deal. There was still a couple of dates a year where schools could kind of kick games off when they wanted to. They took the big checks, they took the big TV money, and with that, they gave up total control of the kickoff times. But it is a brutal situation for the fans, and I think that's what the statement from Alabama here in the last few days was about as much as anything. It wasn't a plea or an objection to the league office as much as it was a show of support of the fan base and saying, look, we hear you, we're doing the best we can. But at the end of the day, again, Alabama and the 13 other member schools in the SEC, they kind of signed off on all this. Travis, thank you so much for stopping by, but I don't think anyone is shedding a tear for Bama today. Whether you think the Crimson Tide will beat the heat or get stuck in the sun, you should follow Travis on Twitter and read his work over at 24-7 Sports' Bama Online. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, 
New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right. <laughs> what? Uh, you guys ready for some hot takes? Some take-a-palooza? I Let's got one. Trey, go ahead. I actually don't know if this is too takey or not taking enough. You, yeah, you came at me and previewed this take with me, acting like this was like super off the wall. Yeah, I don't hot. know what's so. And I'm like, not sure hot. if it's quite as hot as you think it is, but have at it. Joe Burrow is the SEC's second best quarterback, behind only Tua Tungavailoa. That means I think Joe Burrow is better than Jake Fromm. The things Joe Burrow did on Saturday against Texas: 471 yards passing, four touchdowns. Eclipsed or met Jake Fromm career metrics. Jake Fromm has been more of a little manager this year. I think he'll eventually take off. But it wasn't just about the stats for Joe Burrow. Like he was, you said this on the third and 16 or 17 or 18, whatever it was. I've, you know, got a lobotomy and blocked it out of my mind. He made like a matrix type. Like he, he, he is doing things with, he was doing things with his arm we haven't really seen Jake Fromm do as far as a uh, uh, off platform kind of improv thing. Joe Burrow is awesome. I don't think he's a better NFL prospect than, than Jake Fromm, but I, I do think right now Joe Burrow is a better college quarterback. Is it? Can you see him becoming a better NFL prospect than Jake Fromm by the end of the year? I would say no because, well, I don't know. I, I'm no NFL scout, Barton, but I can't think of too many cases outside of Dwayne Haskins where the NFL has banked a quarterback pick on one really good year. So Joe Burrow, I feel like the NFL would have a hard time saying, is Joe Burrow 2018 or is Joe Burrow 2019? I mean, you're, that's, that, that is, I, I think, a incorrect take when you think about <laughs> Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, Mitchell Trubisky, uh, Josh God. Allen had a, had a bad senior year, had a good junior year. Like, a, there's been a lot of recent quarterbacks. That's a good point. Thank you for calling me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm that's not, a great take. But, hey, this is – but I think that's going to be fun to watch how that plays out because, yeah, like going into the year, Joe Burrow was a little bit of an afterthought, mid to late round pick. The way they're going to be throwing it around and featuring him this year at LSU – versus the way Georgia is going to use Jake Fromm. In some ways, even if Jake Fromm just has the same year he's had and they play in the national championship game and he has, you know, Georgia has a great year, but he's throwing it, whatever it is, 18 times a game or something. And just the option that NFL have teams will have of like putting a Joe Burrow who throws for 3,000 yards or something into the, into the pecking order could create sort of drop Joe Jake Fromm's st- stock just based on having another option. So that could be something to watch. I kind of blacked out during that, the embarrassment of you dunking. It's very rare for you to land one on me. That was pretty good, Barton. I mean, I wasn't trying. I was just trying to correct it's you. Kind of a low blow just right off vacation. Coming off vacation, a little groggy. I still have vacation of brain fog, yeah. yeah. Uh, Barton's probably got a real hot one here. I mean, I'm trying to cater this one towards the week ahead. Um, Iowa and Iowa State are playing in the Cyhawk Bowl. Uh, they've got only one of them's ranked. I think I was ranked 20th in the country right now. Regard- and it will be a, a relatively ugly game. This will not be Texas LSU. This will not be some shootout that's a, that, that, that is going to get a lot of fanfare. This is going to be a, a nasty, ugly, typical in-state Iowa game. And whoever wins, my hot take is that both will finish inside the top 15. I like it. I really kind of believe more top 20-ish, but that didn't sound quite as hot as top 15, so I'm going to go hot top 15. I think both teams could compete for 
you know, there's no division in the Big 12, but both teams will be among the best in their conference. I love it. That's a great take. These, I, I'm excited about this game. I'm really excited about that. All right, you ready for big bet? I'm as ready as I'll ever be, Barton. I'm actually going to let you do the uh, the honors this week since I've gotten to do the last two of setting the stage for our man who is $22,000 richer after a, uh, a no. summer in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. He, he has the money to bet. Um, I think everyone knows at this point the backstory. Josh is a rich guy. Josh is a, uh, a gambling expert, World Series of Poker champion, $22,000 of cash he brought home to the family. And now we're going to force him to bet it every week. Right. Uh, and you're more than welcome to push all your chips forward right. if you want. <clears throat> right. You can always go all in. But for now. Last week, Josh lost. He had Tennessee covering three yeah. and a half. Well, weeks. Tennessee was winning the game. You know, they were fine. Well, let him open minute. it. Still it's up, fun to watch him still fumble Still up with 44K it. On, the, on the year. So, yeah. hey, hold on. Okay. He doesn't know the bet. Once he opens it, he's going to have 15 seconds, get the clock ready to make his choice and tell us why. So week three, Josh's big bet. So this part, fumbling the opening. Is this is one of my favorite parts. The best part. Read it show. out. Alabama, minus 25 and a half at South Carolina. Oh, you're Gamecocks. I, and go. You're Southeast, you're, you're South Carolina. This is one Kentucky of your favorite teams. Well, it's, it's, funny, it's funny that you gave me this one because I just had a big conversation with Brandon Davis over at Comic Book, who we all know is a giant South Carolina fan. And I you're had, literally out of time. I had a wager with him. Alabama minus 25 and a half. So I will take Alabama minus 25 and a half. Just the, the basic 22K? Or are you going all in? Uh, he, he, he had too many points. I'm just going to go basic. Right. Do you have uh, anything else to say about the Gamecocks? <laughs> nope. I think good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I, nope, you. that's all I got. Uh, are you surprised that you're not seeing a lot of Gamecock fans picking this one, Josh? Uh, no. Okay. Not really. Well, you're being, you're being well, subdued today. I don't know. Connor could probably answer. Like, the new quarterback situation with Holinsky. Yeah. I mean, everybody God. feels like... Yeah, I mean, you feel good about this. Who's better? Who's, who is a we better... We earlier. Who is a better backup quarterback? Oh. Uh, okay. Sawyer Smith or Ryan Holinsky? Well, see, okay. I haven't seen Holinsky. Sawyer Smith, I didn't of course, see is, him the play new back, is the new starting quarterback for Kentucky. I thought Sawyer Smith looked pretty good. He threw two, a couple Ooh, touchdown passes. How about that? I know it was against I, When Michigan. did they play? Uh, Saturday night at 7.30. No, 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 no. South Carolina, Kentucky. Because that's... Oh. That's the game of the year in the SEC. I think in two weeks. I think it's like the 28th. <laughs> yeah, Connor. Well, we're going to have to get you guys all set for like a big event for that when they when those two teams play. All right. Well, we'll figure something out. Uh, Connor, you got any more questions over there? Sure do. Let's pull them up. Uh, Barrett wants to know, are you guys concerned about your boys, uh, your boy Scott Frost in Nebraska after blowing that game against Colorado? Let's be clear. No, I'm not concerned about the long-term trajectory of Scott Frost. He's going to be just fine. He uh, doesn't need our, our vote of approval. However, this isn't the start that we thought Nebraska would have the 2019 season. Are you listening to me? Or are you just mm-hmm. Yeah. So South Alabama struggles, blow a lead against Colorado. Do you still see them vying in the Big Ten West? Uh, no. Well, I mean, I didn't. So, I mean, I, I never bought into the Big Ten West champion, Scott Frost. The, 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 the hype train exceeded even my really? lofty expectations. No, I, I picked Iowa and first and Wisconsin second okay. in, the, in, the, in the division. And so I just think it got things got a little away from us in terms of the Scott Frost expectations. I was comfortable expecting seven and five. Are not you, nine and three. Are you aware that a lot of our viewers and people who watch the show think that we have like of all the teams we hype, 
Nebraska is like our I favorite. am aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I still believe in Nebraska long term. We're still hanging on. Love it. No worries. You got this, Scott. Uh, Donovan wants to know, who's the Heisman frontrunner at this point? Joe Burrow. Jalen Hurts. How about ETN? I literally thought you were going to say Sawyer Smith. ETN's great, but he averaged three yards a carry against A&M. I think Joe Burrow has, has had the best Heisman-worthy performance to this point. The funny thing about Heisman moments is if you have one in September, no one remembers it by November. Joe Burrow is going to be our September Heisman. Tell me the last time a September Heisman won the Heisman. September Heisman is a very Mark real Jackson. thing. But was, he was asking for September Heisman, though, basically. That's sort of the question. Yeah, who's, okay. who's the guy now? I would say Jalen Hurts. I would, like, if you, I would say Jalen Hurts is the Heisman frontrunner. Yeah, I, I'll, I will say this. If the future of the human race depended on you correctly picking the Heisman Trophy, I think it would make a lot of sense to go with the quarterback who plays for the coach that has had two consecutive Heisman Trophy winners that were tr- also transfers and that quarterback just had 600 yards of total Plus, offense. there's nothing the national media loves more than Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Like, that's, that's uh, true. Back to Josh's point. So he says Travis Etienne, who I got to say, after seeing him in person, I was, like, stunned by the, the agility and the acceleration. The, he is there every single time as far as housing one. If you had to go running back, is it Travis Etienne or Jonathan Taylor? Uh, I think Jonathan Taylor right now. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Like, just on who's a good player or who has, like, the best. Yeah, the best Heisman award. Uh, Jonathan Taylor. Okay. Okay. I think he's going to be more. So that's a strong bet on Wisconsin. Barton is. Bar, I, I can sense this right here. But like, he's got something Wisconsin-y going on in his head, <laughs> and he's he's uh, he doesn't want to come out and say it. <laughs> Do you love Wisconsin? I mean, how can you not there. like what Wisconsin has done so far? I mean, they've they've been they've been outstanding, and this is and, and last year was a little bit of a Wisconsin. The expectations were there, and they didn't meet them. This year, the expectations have been removed a little bit. Yeah, you, they're not on the cover of Sports Illustrated anymore. And now, all of a sudden, I think that they're back to their old self of just oh, a little less old Wisconsin, just going to run up the score on South Florida. Uh, I think they're really good. Wisconsin's back, baby. Jonas wants to know, should we be talking about Chad Morris as a hot seat candidate? Arkansas doesn't look any better. Just got done losing to Ole Miss. You kind of alluded to Jonas's question earlier as far as Chad Morris goes. <laughs> I, I did. Uh, I think... No, like this is going to be an ugly year. They've recruited really well last year. Like that's one of those coaches you can at least point to that and say, all right, recruiting has been energetic. Uh, but man, that was, they have not looked good in two weeks. Switching and, on quarterbacks going out with Nick Starkle. Yeah, quarterback has not been pretty. Um, so, hey, you know who's coming in next year at the quarterback position for them? Chad, Chad Morris's son. son. Now that's a storyline. Can the son save the father's job? That's a great storyline. <laughs> no pressure, kid. Um, uh, this is not a question, but some breaking news from Horns 24-7. A Texas internal report has proved visitor locker room AC was on and working for I LSU. Love this story. Chip Brown has some exclusive details over on Horns. That is college football for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I missed that. I missed that as far as storylines go. The cramping. Maybe for another show, we should devote a special to the cramping. It's an endemic that's hitting college football. Well, it's really hot out right now. Connor, these <laughs> kids are from Baton Rouge, okay? Texas A&M is cramping left and right in Death Valley on Saturday. It's, come on, guys. It's, it's, we know what's going on. Hey, I got one real quick from Kevin. Uh, just to piggyback off your quarterback conversation a minute ago, is Sam Ellinger still a top three quarterback in college football? 
Top three, so, you know, wh what is top three? Oh, uh, Sam Ellinger is still an elite, one of the top upper echelon quarterbacks in college football. I think I feel better about saying that yeah. after seeing what he did Saturday. Uh, you saw him in person. There's no hesitation on Sam Ellinger. He, he's, yeah, there's no stock dropping there. If you had oh. a top three before the game, he's top three after the game. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't even say that Joe Burrow outplayed Sam Ellinger. It was just a shootout and... You know, LSU, LSU's guys made one or two more plays. You, but I, Sam Ellinger was right there the whole time. You said this two years ago. You said Sam Ellinger, I think, is going to go down as an iconic Texas quarterback. How about this? He's going to go down at worst right now as the third best quarterback in Texas history. Yeah. All right, let's get to the fan of the week. This week is Daniel James Sperling. His question is, would you agree that the 4-8 Nebraska program, Scott Frost, and staff took over was more broken than the 0 and 12 UCF program they took over then. That's a, I mean, that's actually, what, I think fan. that's our best fan of the week question we've had at least this year, maybe ever. You put in Daniel James Sperling in like the Pantheon, Daniel James Sperling hot take, <laughs> maybe the best fan of the week question we've ever had. I think, because I think it's a fair, that's a fair statement to make. Like that, that team that he took over at UCF. It was a that was a false flag of a winless season. That, that was a team that had had success before. There was talent on the roster. He took it over, and it wasn't hard to get it back going again. Nebraska, a little bit different deal. Um, I think there was a slower deterioration of that roster that was going to take a slower rebuild. Uh, I think that's uh, that's worth exploring. Yeah. You guys ready for some picks? Let's do it. Uh, I had an awful week last week, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, let's go and put up the scoreboard, I guess. There we go. Got the sports line logo on there this week. All right. I like to see that Barton's been working on his game. And I've fallen. Cream rises to Josh the top. thought he had a good week. Oh, I didn't. I said I had, oh, oh, I had a bad oh, week. Oh. I had a terrible week. I knew I had a terrible week. Um, all right, yeah. I, if Barton doesn't win this every week, then I, I, I mean, Barton, you spend so much time like studying the lines and doing the picks podcast well, this, on the, cover, it's, cover it's, three. It's actually, just, in some ways, it's tougher to pick winners than the lines. Okay. You know, and He's an over-under guy. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big over-under guy. All right, let's go and get started. Uh, game tomorrow night, UNC at Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a three-point favorite. Connor, who you got? I'm going with Wake. UNC coming off a big win. I think Wake's a little underrated here, and it's a it's a short week for everybody. It's a weird Friday night game. I've got the Deeks. I think Mac Brown is as surprised as anybody uh, that this is happening, but I'm riding the Mac Brown magic until they prove me wrong. Tar Heels. Yeah, I think the magic runs out. Uh, this is a Wake team that is really good on offense. I think they're going to push the pace, get a lot of possessions. Uh, try to, I mean, Sam Howell hasn't had a mistake yet, basically, as a true freshman quarterback. He's due for one or two. Uh, I, I think that Wake wins this one. You're a big Wake guy. I'm a big uh, Wake guy. Uh, I got North Carolina as well. I think they continue with the upsets. It's only three points in North Carolina. Let's go. I don't mm -hmm. like it when Josh picks the games I pick. That's always a bad sign. All right. I just had one bad week. Okay. Kansas State and Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State's a seven-and-a-half-point seven favorite. Excuse me. 
Hey, I went Mississippi State here. I honestly made that pick before I realized Tommy Stevens was a question for whether he'd be available mm -hmm. this week. Um, maybe I'd change that, but uh, I've, got, I've got the Bulldogs right now. I'm going Mississippi State. Uh, Kylan Hill, one of the best running backs in the country. No one's talking about him yet. Yeah, read my column at cbsports.com, and I, I do talk about Kylan Hill. I agree. He's really good. I think I picked Mississippi State here. But this is an absolute upset alert spot here. I think Kansas State is good. Um, I think even if Tommy Stevens is in the game, Kansas State is capable of winning this one. I think if, even if he's not in the game, Mississippi State can still score points. What I'm more concerned about is what Mississippi State is going to be able to do in stopping that Kansas State offense. Uh, some suspensions that Mississippi State has had to manage early this season and will have to manage throughout the year. So a tricky spot here, but I'm going to lean Mississippi State because of the home. I'm going to live up to my SEC Homer roots and pick the Mississippi State Bulldogs. I think they win at home. Stanford at UCF, <clears throat> Central Florida, excuse me. Central Florida is a seven and a half point favorite. Yeah, I've got the Knights. Just too many injuries for Stanford and having to travel all the way across the country for this one in Orlando. Yeah, Stanford's on the rocks. UCF, that's a seven and a half point favorite. That's massive. Uh, I, I do feel kind of bad for UCF. They, we've looked at this game for the last two years. It's like UCF, UCF finally gets to prove itself in the regular season against a big team, and Stanford's not very good right now. Yeah, I, I'm not a believer in this Stanford team. I, I think that they've lost their way from an identity standpoint a little bit. Uh, they've got perhaps two freshmen starting on the offensive line this week. Uh, I talked about how USC uh, pushed them around a little bit last week. Uh, I think the, the track across the country uh, against a UCF team that is really, really athletic and is motivated to make a statement against a Power 5 team means that they win and they win easily. Was not impressed with Stanford last week. They got to go across country. Give me Central Florida. All right. USC is a four and a half point favorite at BYU, which came off a win over the Vols. Yeah. I agonized over this one. I felt a lot of guilt picking against BYU last week after singling them out as my chaos team. But I'm going to do it again here. Go with USC. This one's tough to judge. Now I feel like I'm buying too much into USC, but USC, BYU's probably a little bit worn down at this point. And it's not like they blew Tennessee out or anything. It was a pretty lucky win. I think early this season, I've gotten in trouble when I've tried to project instead of just trust what my eyes have told me. Uh, what my eyes have told me with USC is that they are improved. This is a better team than we last saw. Uh, BYU, even though I think that they are very capable of pulling an upset here, particularly with it being at home, Keaton Slovis, true freshman, going on the road for the first time. All those things matter, but I just think from what I've seen, USC is good enough to, to get the job done. I have USC winning by a touchdown. So oh. there you go. Arizona State at Michigan State. Michigan State's a 13-point favorite. Yeah, uh, I've got the Spartans here on the road. Young quarterback, just his third start. Give me Sparty. Yeah, Michigan State flexes, redemption win. Another true freshman on the road for the first time. Michigan State, negative six total yards rushing allowed for this team. Pretty unbelievable against an Arizona State team that has had some issues on the offensive line, moving the ball in the red zone. Um, again, if Michigan State hadn't put together that show last week against Western Michigan showcasing their offense may be back a little bit, then maybe I'd be a little more tempted to pick an upset here, but I'm not. I think Michigan State wins. Let's make it a Michigan State sweep. I think they win as well. Iowa is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Iowa State. 
Yeah, honestly, don't have a great read on this one. Even our uh, <coughs> Iowa and Iowa State uh, reporters don't have a great feel on this one uh, with Iowa State having a bye week last week after that weird almost upset to an FCS team. Uh, honestly, I just saw that you guys had picked Iowa State, and I saw this as an opportunity to make up ground and went oh for the other gosh. team. <laughs> uh, game day is going to be in Ames, Iowa for the first time ever. Iowa State fans are some of the best in college football. They're going to showcase themselves on Saturday. They haven't beat Iowa in a while. I think they do it, and I, I'm not going to pick against Iowa State ever. I think game day in Ames matters. It does. There's going to be a ton of energy around that place. I also think they've got a bye week now and week two to prepare for this game. Week one against Northern Iowa, I think, has taking people off the scent of Iowa State a little bit. They outgained Northern Iowa by 200 plus yards. That was a weird game. They won it in triple overtime. I think that this Iowa State team proves that that was a fluke and they beat a really good Iowa team at home. That game last or two weeks ago against Northern Iowa scared me. So I'm gonna have to take Iowa until further notice. I see it from Iowa State that they're a legit team that you guys have been talking about all summer. I mean, that's all you've talked about. So, uh, you know, I'm going to stick with Iowa there. The big game, Kentucky, Florida. <laughs> Florida's an eight-point favorite. Yeah, I'm going with Florida. Uh, new quarterback for Kentucky. It has experience, <coughs> but uh, Florida, maybe what they did against Miami ends up being a mirage. But uh, right now, I'm feeling good about the Gators. Now, we haven't seen Florida in a while. Uh Unless they played this week. They did. UT Martin. <laughs> no one was watching the UT Martin game anyways. So don't worry about that I'm one. going Florida. Terry Wilson's injury secured it for me. But Josh, I want you to know I thought about it. Thank you. <laughs> so a little tidbit on Sawyer Smith. One of the higher rated group of five signees uh, at Troy. He was a 4-7-6-40 guy. Pretty athletic player. So maybe you don't have to throw the whole quarterback run package out, out of the game plan for Kentucky. Uh, I, I actually think this is this, – I was tempted to pick an upset here. I think Kentucky's capable of pulling off an upset. I fell short of having the confidence to do it, though. I just think Florida is, is too talented and, and I, too much reloading at Kentucky. Even at Kroger Field, I think Florida goes and wins it. Okay, so I, of course, as everybody remembers, I picked Florida to win last year. As everyone remembers. <laughs> well, it's all you guys, of you remember. Well, you guys seem to remember. You won't let me forget Let's about get it. get the 15 seconds up on this yeah. uh, breakdown oh here. Oh, my God. Uh, listen, I picked against them last year. Kentucky always plays Florida tough. Always. It's usually a close game. There's a blowout here and there. With 41 Ur to 7. With Urban Meyer, but that was a long time ago. They, they play them tough. So I'm going to pick Kentucky to win. Yeah, I I think they can do it. I really do. I, I think Sawyer Smith is, uh, yeah. Just Time's play. up. We actually put a clock on. I think they can do it. Mm -hmm. All right. So that beard's getting good, Josh. Florida State at Virginia. Virginia is a seven and a half point favorite. Tell me, someone picked Florida State? No, I'm looking. Let's see. Let's <laughs> no, let's not. Got, let's not. I certainly did not. Uh, yeah, Florida State offensive line troubles going on the road to a pretty disruptive. Bronco Mendenhall defense. Yeah, I'm picking Virginia. Yeah, I, I trust Virginia, but you don't have any trust in Florida State, so Virginia. Yeah, that's exactly. I think that, oh. that's my words exactly. Actually, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> trust. No, yeah, I think Virginia is, and plus this is a home game. This is a chance for them to really step on the throat of a blue blood. Um, I think that Virginia is just flat out better than Florida State. I've got Virginia too. Same thing with you guys saying. I just don't trust Florida State. Yeah. 
TCU is a two-point favorite at Purdue. Yeah, I wish we knew whether Elijah Sindelar was going to go. I, as, as far as I know, that's still up in the air. Um, I'd probably go Purdue if we knew he was going to be good, but uh, without him, I'm going TCU. I wonder if that injury is the, the cause for TCU being a road fave. Uh, tons of good offensive talent on the field. Jalen Rager versus Rondale Moore. I'm going TCU. I think Gary Patterson kind of flexes his defensive chops yet again. So here's my opinion on Elijah Sindelar. I'm not sure it really matters. I think mm. Purdue. I do think Purdue likes Jack Plummer. Uh, I think that could be one of those deals where the backup plays well and the starter never gets the job back. Uh, that said, I, I actually think TCU is really good this year. Mm -hmm. I think that they're the fact that they didn't play in week two. They have a bye week to repair, but also out of sight, out of mind. I think they didn't get a chance to prove to us that they're better than a two and a half way favorite against uh, Purdue. So. That defense that is, you know, Purdue's a little bit different in the Big Ten. They're a little more wide open. That's par for the course mm -hmm. in the Big 12. So give me Gary Patterson with two weeks of scheme and, uh, and TCU wins. I actually had Purdue at first and changed it yesterday afternoon. So uh, wow. I am rolling with TCU. Oh. Uh, just the injuries with uh, Purdue, I just, yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure. So, <laughs> And then finally, Texas Tech is a two-and-a-half point favorite at Arizona. Yeah, I don't have a great feel for Texas Tech in the first year under Matt Wells here, but uh, Arizona's defense is yikes. So I'm going with Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech hasn't played anybody, but they're putting up Texas Tech-esque numbers and playing really good defense. Let's see if that lasts. It's, we've seen this before with Tech over the last few years where the defense we think's improved and it isn't, but new coach, new opportunity, Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas the sleeper of the Big 12, I think, and could sneak up on a lot of teams this year. I think they make a statement with a smooth runaway win on this one. Go ahead. Arizona's not very good no. from what I've seen. Newsflash. So give me Texas Tech. Guns up. Uh, guns up. All right. Uh, any parting shots, fellas? Trey, you feel like you've uh, awoken from your no. sleepiness? No. Or? I'm going to go eat lunch, try to get out of here early, go take another nap. Yeah, you deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Break. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long, a long vacation. You yeah. need to get some rest. Yeah. I'm sad we didn't uh, get Colin to rerun video of Trey's pick for Texas last week. That would have been. That was a classic. Yeah, we didn't really talk much about our little bet. It was really just a, uh, you want to talk? The, the, the Trey, Josh, Texas LSU bet, disappointingly, ended in a push. Oh, that's right. We'll have yeah. to circle back next year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for Barton, for Trey, Connor, Mike, uh, Colin, Ted, everybody in the back helping. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.